It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. You're listening to The Plodcast, a weekly adventure with nature in the British countryside from the people who make BBC Countryfile magazine. My name's Fergus Collins, and I happen to be both the editor of the magazine and the host of The Plodcast, so welcome aboard. This week, it's not me taking on an adventure, but my good friend and Plodcast regular, Annabelle Ross. Annabelle is on a musical mission, discovering how nature and wild sounds can influence a modern composer, in this case, acclaimed musician Erlen Cooper, hailing from the Orkneys, Erlen combines field recordings and environmental messaging with electronica and classic motifs. And we'll be hearing a couple of his tracks, including one from his new album, Folding Landscapes, later in the podcast. But first, let's go off with Annabelle to meet Erlen to have a nature ramble at a studio just outside of Bath, a studio belonging to that legendary music maker, Peter Gabriel. Could you tell us where we are? Sure, we are in Wiltshire. More specifically, we're in Box. And more specifically still, we're at one of the world's best studios. We're at Peter Gabriel's studio, Real World. And it's an incredible studio that has been home to some sensational records, some virtuoso world musicians, pop stars all over the planet. Many folk come here to, to record, to work, um, I, I cut my debut album here and it's a, I'm very, very fond of it for a few reasons. I mean, it couldn't be further away than, you know, from Orkney, but it is one of the rare studios that has a, a great sense of place. It's joined to the landscape, the, the panoramic views from the, from the windows. In fact, the, the lake reflects 
the light back through the windows and creates this kind of ambient hue whilst you're mixing and whilst you're writing or recording. It's just wonderful. And right now we're outside and you can hear people preparing and making it look beautiful and cutting the lawn. It is the day for mowing the lawn, isn't it? It's, it we'll just wait for that um, lawn mower just to go a little bit. So it is quite a big garden that's part of the studios isn't it and and you're leading us on a walk around the gardens and we're going looking for what are we looking for oh i'm so excited about this beyond belief actually so the 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 river that joins onto the studio because i believe this was a a mill originally and you have certain dams and and areas that are uh, holding and stopping the pace of the water but we're going to follow the river uh, and I'm hoping that we can spot a few things. We'll obviously see more hens. We can hear wrens and, and robins and all sorts of things. But I'm hoping we shall spot the elusive otter and perhaps even a kingfisher. And perhaps uh, that's enough of an ambition on this walk. <laughs> I think either of those two would be absolutely be extraordinary. Yeah, extraordinary. And if one of us just shouts, look, there's the otter. It is radio or podcast after all. So. But it does feel to me, I mean, it's one of those rare days where it feels like spring is truly here. It's absolutely luminous. The, the, the sky is blue. It's so verdant. And um, of all the days to fish, if I was a kingfisher, this would be it. You could see the bottom of the water. Maybe we'll spot something. So, um, you've been called nature's songwriter in the past, and I'm sure you know your music is inspired by nature. But I'm wondering, isn't that isn't isn't that the same for most composers and musicians? That nature is their inspiration. Um, you're not. I mean, you're nature's songwriter, but you're not unique. I'm sorry. I don't mean you're not unique. You're. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Nature has inspired musicians and composers for hundreds of years. It, it, it is such a potent catalyst for art. We know that. When uh, that article was written, in truth, I was a little embarrassed by the quote. Um, but what it did was it made me ask the question, okay, you write with the natural world in mind, but do you write with the natural world? And so I went on and I'm ploughing a particular field right now where I'm exploring collaborations with the soil itself, collaborations with the the elements, the air, the sun, temperature, sunlight. And I do this by using magnetic tape. I record perhaps a classical concerto, I put it onto tape. And in this instance, I, I... I deleted every digital file, so there was only one copy that existed on a, you know, like those uh, tapes that you might see on a spy movie in the reel back. Reel-to-reel. Reel-to-reel, mm-hmm. yeah. I deleted all the digital files, so there, there only existed this one copy. And then I travelled to the Orkney Islands, I drove it in my car, I even put the seatbelt on it, this precious thing, and I dug a hole and planted it for three years with the view that the elements or the soil itself would would collaborate with the tape and create these artefacts. Uh, and uh, it was also an act of patience and an act of 
celebrating uh, the value in process in a world of instant gratification where you can have everything now, it felt really quite satisfying to wait. Um, yes. I'm thinking we could move on. Do we want? Um, because it's also getting quite cold there. But this burying of the tape, yep. was this the inspiration for your latest album? In a, in a sense, they, they plough a similar field of uh, time and patience and um, the natural world. So whilst that record touched on uh, soil and the decomposition... Oh, isn't this wonderful? We're walking over another, what I call Winnie the Pooh Bridge, which I think are charming. And we can see in front of us fields full of dandelions and grass. It's just a wonderful thing. Um... Folded Landscapes is your new album. It's not actually out yet not completely, yet. is it? No, it's, it's out in May. Um, it's a, a classical piece. It's a collaboration with Scottish Ensemble who are kind of pioneers of, of, of music for strings. And they were so open to experimentation. I recorded classical musicians at minus two degrees in a warehouse in Glasgow and then recorded them in a warm, more comfortable studio environment, slowly turning the temperature up. And then, quite by coincidence, it, I, I, I put everything onto tape, and on the hottest day of recorded time in the UK, the music that lay on the tape lay sunbathing on my studio roof. Uh, I, wanted, uh, I wanted it to get sunburnt, and so those artefacts those crackles and pops and breaks are all in the music itself um, for I, a reason. I've heard the crackles and pops because I've been lucky enough to hear your um, new album, but I wondered what they were because I didn't, I didn't know that, but they are the crackles and pops from the atmosphere. That's right. Uh, I mean, tape doesn't like moisture. It doesn't like sunlight. Um, but the, the project kind of touches on the the lofty subject of, of climate change uh, and temperature and, and again as I say time and so this felt like a, a neat way to traverse kind of a hundred years of recorded time uh, of temperature sorry recorded temperature and um, can you just explain a bit about how you work because you're a composer you're a pianist you're a singer you're a guitar or can oh. you can you help? I don't think I'm any of those things apart from a writer of music. Uh, I'm probably a jack of all, master of none in, you know, I don't know if it was Patti Smith or John Lennon who said something like, give me a tuber and I'll get a note out, I'll get a tune out of it. I can kind of, I, I really enjoy exploring what each and all these instruments can do. But for me, the, the, the greatest joy comes when, you know, I write these eight or ten notes that anyone can write and then you give them to a incredible musician like for example violinist Daniel Pioro he can take these ten notes and I instantly hear back where the improvements need to be made in the composition and where uh, where where things are elevated by pure talent by great musicians and that's that's what I love I love writing for the ensemble and the colours of the orchestral palette combined with 
field recordings from the natural world and electronics and things that I enjoy on the production side. Um, okay. But so I, 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 I predominantly write with the piano, but um, yeah. yes, I, yeah. I'm but not a singer, that's for sure. Oh, you're not? Okay, sorry, that one. But you, so what, what you're known in the music industry, you're known as a multi-instrumentalist. That's a little neater, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds, sounds more palatable. <laughs> <laughs> Which it, it could also mean he's <laughs> not very good at any instrument. No, I'm only and so, um, going back to nature songwriter, which we touched on earlier, do you need to be in nature to be inspired, but to, to write? Or it's a good question. Can it come any time? I I've coined the silly phrase, which I call um, critical distance, uh, where. The further I am away from the source, the more likely I will write something evocative to the memory of the place I was at. Um, take, for example, Orkney, the north of Scotland, where I was born and raised. Um, I wrote a, a, a trilogy inspired by the islands and the air, the sea, the land. But the important thing to me was that I would write about it there, in that place. Sorry, I would be in that place and I would capture field recordings on tape and digital and photographs and videos and I would take it all back south and in a studio with no windows uh, underneath the streets of East London I would edit. And I actually think the, the biggest job of a of a composer or, or a writer or, you know, a producer is, is, is the edit pencil, the ability to self-edit. Um, so I would say 90% or 80% is cut out and left on the, on the floor. And then this 20% is kind of the essence of place. Um, and I've, I've been calling it this critical distance, this ability to be critical at a distance from the source. And um, I often think that if I... <laughs> there's a misconception. People think I, I live in Orkney all the time and I've got the studio with panoramic views of the highlands and islands. I don't think I'd get much work done. I'd be <laughs> distracted, as I am now. It's quite distracting in the studios here, though, with that lovely lake. It's different here, I think, because um, you're reminded at the sheer gravitas of place you know you're in this studio surrounded by the best equipment some of the best engineers in the world and you've got a responsibility to your your budget and your the the, the restraints that you've been given i.e a day two days three days whatever it may be and you want to maximize that so you just get on what i do when i come here is i take stuff i've been working on elsewhere whether it's scotland whether it's london whether it's italy and then you pull it together and you get the edit pencil out again. Or you record that incredible musician like Daniel or Clara Schumann on cello. Do you... Um, so you have talked about the inspiration that you... that the Orkney Islands gave you where you were born and brought up. And so I'm just wondering for people who live there, you get to a teenage teenager and either you think I never want to leave or you think I want to go to London and if I don't get to London 
I just don't feel alive. <laughs> but you obviously, were you torn when you actually did have to properly leave your home? I, I was asked recently, um, what's the thing you love about Orkney and what's the thing you disliked about Orkney? And I felt I could answer in the same, answer both questions with the same answer. What I love and disliked about Orkney is that it's a rock in the North Sea surrounded by the elements. And you think about that a little deeper. It's such an incredible community and place to grow up. But as a child, I couldn't wait to explore and leave as we get a sense of our own boundaries in life as we grow up. Um, as an adult, I can't wait to go back. My first experience, and if you can imagine this for a moment, you've never seen a city. You've never seen... I mean, arguably, Kirkwall is a city. It has a cathedral in Orkney. Right. Uh, St Magnus Cathedral, which is just wonderful. But uh, I remember... Um, and my family are quite academic. We're, we've all got degrees and in the sciences and things like that. Um, but I remember leaving for university and I'd never been, I'd never seen a city uh, like that. Uh, we, we, I'm, I'm one of six, so we're a very large family. We didn't travel that much, if at all. Uh, and we probably didn't need to. My parents lived in an, an idyllic environment. But I, I, to set the scene, I remember leaving Kirkwall flying to London Gatwick. What age? 18. And then flying to New York City. Now, <laughs> it absolutely blew my mind. I'm not and uh, I remember for a couple of reasons, I almost missed my flight. I'll never forget that. And I've learned never run for a train or a plane. You should never be late. But I remember it blew my mind and I was in New York uh, a few weeks ago and I hadn't been since then, decades prior. Yeah. And I had the same sense of wonder, but a, a little familiarity. It, it felt familiar to me, sorry. And, um, but it still gave me that childlike wonder. Um, and it couldn't be further, you know, London, New York, these, these, these giant all-consuming cities where I mean the, the noise got on top of me very quickly the, the honking horns the, the shouting the the rapid nature of it all but then in those environments I remember my hotel looked out onto um, Manhattan and the sunrise because I wake very early was reflecting off the glass city wall and I thought for a minute, and it was slightly red. And I thought, well, that's, that's what a sunset is like in Orkney. And I couldn't be further away. So we find places and moments that remind us of the natural world and inspire you to go there again. Which is why I'm so happy to, to now be here. And I think we're finally in a quiet moment where we can hear all the birds and we're far enough away from the studio and the hustle and bustle. And it's such a calm and beautiful studio. And you can see why it, it's just the perfect location for, uh, for setting up a creative safe haven.
You, um, I'm just going to walk, if we, if we want to find this kingfisher, we have to walk really close to the river, and we've been not, we haven't really been concentrating on that. But it does feel like there could be a kingfisher. It's funny you should say that. I, I, I was speaking to one of the engineers about an hour before you arrived, and they have um, a little area, the, the name escapes me, I think they call it the... Uh, it's got an evocative name to do with dreams, dream catcher area or dream dream zone. And uh, what it is, it's, it's uh, a place where they plant trees for musicians who have passed away or who are close to or have been close to the studio and the studio owner, Peter Gabriel. And I thought that was a lovely evocative way to, to kind of... Um, join memory in place that is lovely uh, memory garden it's got nothing to do with dreams it's called the memory garden it's full of trees but i'm told that is where the kingfishers might roost i just thought they were uh, probably out fishing i don't know at what point in the day otters like to sleep or swim or fish but i'm told that there there are a few here i think they're extremely shy yeah and um, don't like to be seen much or don't like to come out, probably in the daylight. I imagine they come out later, first thing in the morning. I imagine. They're incredibly sociable. Uh, I'm, I'm scoring uh, a film right now about a love affair between a human and an otter. And it's a story of redemption and in the natural world. And it's set in Shetland. So I'm going to Shetland very soon and Orkney. I'm going to meet the otter. And uh, it's a wonderful story. And what an absolute treat to score the film. How amazing. So you haven't started writing it yet? You're, I have you're, started you writing. Have, but you haven't met the otter? Uh, now or I'm the... Gonna, yes, I've, I've written a suite of um, folk songs, traditional inspired folk songs, using a traditional Norwegian instrument called the Hardanger fiddle. And I'm going to go to Shetland, meet the author and finish that suite of songs, but also uh, take away field recordings and sounds that inspire me to create the other layers and textures of the pieces. So when you do... We could walk back if you want to, but we must keep half an eye out on the water, I think, for anything. I will. Anything at all. Um, Do you... So you you do all your field recordings. What do you use? Much like what you're holding in front of my nose. Yeah. And uh, but I also use analog tapes. I use, as you probably gathered quite early on, tape plays an important role in my creative process um, because it's not infinite. You're limited in quality of sound based on length of tape. Was that a frog? What's that? No. I, what, what, what was it? This is when a black adder jumps out. I think it was a frog or a grasshopper, but more like a frog. I think you're right. Okay, well, we found some wildlife. We've done. A toad. We're doing well. Um, and we haven't, I haven't had to test you on any of your birds. Do you. Oh, thank goodness. I, I, well, on the drive here, I spotted several kites. It's always great to see a raptor, um, particularly when you're driving. Obviously, they're looking for. Uh, things that didn't quite make it across the road but uh so you do know your kitty wakes from your kestrels do you know in orkney the kestrel has a fantastic evocative name 
which is the moosey hawk, as in the hawk with a face that looks like a mouse. I will test you now. What do you think the bird is that is called the catty face? Um, I'll give you a clue. I, it, it is you, a, it haven't is you a, got a song, catty face? I do. <laughs> but it is a bird of prey. Um, okay, I give up. It is a bird of prey with a face that looks like a cat. It is the owl, and in particular the short-eared owl. The kitty wake in Orkney is kitty waku. I, I love these local dialect names of, of, of birds and animals and place, and yeah. it's a lovely way to keep that language alive. So, I mean, definitely, because it just does sound more evocative than our, our usual day-to-day language. Curlew's a lovely one. Uh, wow. wow. Can you imitate a curlew? Curlew, curlew song? Can you give it, give it a go? The curlew's my favourite singing voice. The favourite soprano. I could maybe whistle it. The cur- so wi- a curlew would probably go... And then they do this warble. Not bad. <laughs> so See, I can't good. play the piano, I can't sing, but I can whistle a curlew. <laughs> no, that was so beautiful. Thank you for thank you for doing it as well. I'd rather put you on the spot. It's funny because birds for me, um, they're as wonderful as they they're as wonderful to me now, as a middle-aged man, as they were as a young boy. They still hold the exact same wonder: escapism, flight, exploration. Uh, aviation it's just they still give me the same kind of um, thoughts I find them just as inspiring and you do use birdsong actual recorded birdsong in in a few of your your pieces don't you I do yes not on the new not on the new album there's always a curlew in every piece of music I make it's hidden it's there it's somewhere that's a little thing I always I always sneak it in so we should be able to hear it if we listen. If, hmm? Yes, keep an ear out for the curlew. Um, it's funny, I was playing uh, Simon Armitage, uh, who features on the new album. And it's such a treat for me to have, I mean, my goodness, our poet laureate write these words and let permit me to work them into soprano form where Josephine Stevens sings his words and kind of sings them back after he speaks them on the record itself. Uh, but he invited me to an event at the Barbican where he had he had invited a lot of colleagues and poets to read uh, on a, a wonderful evening called Lip Gloss. And uh, at the end of my performance, I played the piano and... Uh, had my tape machine playing. In fact, in this moment, it was uh, an interview I found with the late Sakamoto, who just passed away. It was a big inspiration, uh, Japanese composer. Ruishi Sakamoto. Was yes. It, was it, was it from um, uh, Merry Christmas was to Lawrence? That's he recently, it. Yes, OK. Yeah. Well, he passed away, and at the end of playing a, a song called Mali, which is a fuma in Orcadian, I got to the end, 
and then I played the theme from Merry Christmas, you know, the I played it really slowly because I realized it was in the same key. I suddenly clicked and attempted it. I think I stopped breathing for a moment because I, my right hand just went to the black notes to play that melody. And then in my pocket, I realized I had a very primitive bird call. I didn't realize I knew I had it, but I thought it'd be a wonderful way to close this moment of the show. Uh, he was a great experimenter and he would find a new sounds from the natural world in his music. And uh, I, it, it's like a, a, a small circular piece of wood with a bit of metal and you turn it. I think it's like a Victorian instrument and you turn it and this particular one makes the sound of the robin and I played it at the end and I, I, you know, you could hear people just not breathe for a moment and then I let go and it just echoed into the theatre. It was such a lovely little, little thing. I love it. I love that little toy because it's so straightforward. It's not digital. It's not, it, you know, it couldn't be more analogue. It exists in my pocket. Um, so he was, he's obviously an inspiration for you, the late... Sakamoto. Daniel Pioro um, is a great, a violinist I collaborate with a lot with, and he often reminds me of the joy in taking inspiration from living composers, not just the ones that have long since passed. Uh, oh, it's, it's a great loss to the music community. Sakamoto inspired so many people. Um, and you know, just, you know, a lot of composers, let's say, I don't know, Caroline Shaw or Messian, Messian in particular. Messian would have transcribed birdsong, you know, really on a molecular level. It's quite a hard listen hearing that back. But I was talking to uh, an engineer the other day and he reminded me that certain birds, uh, scientists have studied and slowed down field recordings. I do this a lot. But apparently, you know, in, a, in like a second or even a millisecond, these songs that the male birds are doing to attract a mate are almost in sonata form. You know, they have this form of an introduction, a theme, then they move to a B section and then back to the A section, all within a split second. And you think, well, if that's not a great piece of inspiration for how the natural world can inspire a composer and I don't know what is um, and, and writers have done that for years but with the technology we have now for example I can take the voice of a curlew um, if it doesn't have multiple other sounds in it and I can have that I can put that through a piece of software that generates uh, the, the MIDI language that can then trigger an instrument that is coming from the bird itself and often I'll use that. I never look at a, a blank page, for example, when I'm writing. There's always something that can inspire something else. Oh, I see. And that's okay, you don't start do from, from nothing. No, I have a folder on my computer, that kind of like an orphanage of sounds that everything in it eventually finds a home. And that's where I start when I write. Um, I'm keeping one eye out. All, I'm, all we've spotted are the... Dunters, as we say in Orcadian, the ducks. That's not bad. They're still very beautiful. They get overlooked because we see so many of them, yes. I think. And I think, I thought I could hear a woodpecker. Did you hear that? 
I didn't hear it, but I'm sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> I heard it then. Nonetheless, it's a very, very peaceful moment, isn't it? Even if there isn't a lot of birdsong and a lot of things that... Yeah. Um, but when, when you go out and do your field recordings... Do I you... suspect we're at the wrong time of the day. Yeah, I it's work very early. Middle of the day, isn't it? So I, I, I kind of wake about six and I'm on my desk before seven. And that's when I write. I kind of feel like, you know, if you've got 12 hours in the day, you've only really got two to four really good hours, <laughs> maybe even one great hour. And it's normally before you get phone calls and emails and messages of all sorts. So I do that between six and nine. It, and and, and um, you, do you have a studio at home or you're looking out of a window or you're... No, I, I live in the centre of London at a, a place called the Barbican. And then my... It couldn't be further away from Orkney. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. What the look of, look of horror on your face. I know. I'm sorry. I wasn't expecting you to be living in the Barbican, but London's a great city. So I, I uh, actually have a great love of modernism and modern art. So you, you know the brutalism of the estate, I've, the aesthetic, I, I rather enjoy, and it's very peaceful actually in a, in, a, in a city that where a lot of my work is generated. But my studio is like a is like a safe haven underneath cobbled streets. And these cobbled streets remind me of Stromness in Orkney, actually, or a little bit of New York. It's got this funny feel to it. Reminds me of both Orkney and New York, that coincidence. Um, and uh, it's like the hull of a ship, and it's full of photographs from my home and uh, all the comforts of, of, a, of a place that is conducive to work. And I invite and have all my meetings and collaborations are done there. And then, of course, I'm back in Scotland or other places that, that, um, that pull me away. When you do your field recordings, do you sleep out? I mean, do you, are you sort of waiting for that perfect moment or do you just take a chance and go out and say, OK, well, whatever I get, I get? I think writing is a bit like a bird spotting, as in you might go out to try and find a kestrel you're more likely to spot a kite or you're more likely to see something else. And then, lo and behold, you might see the catty face, but you would know, you didn't know that was going to happen. And I think writing's a bit like that. Give yourself the opportunity to walk into the landscape and you might... And if you go a little bit deeper, actually, you might see something better. So going back to your question, if I start early enough before all the other humans get involved in this deep ecology that we live in, I'm more likely to spot something. And I do the same with the writing.
fascinating to hear how nature and wild landscapes and kind of wild moods can be incorporated into music. And I'm really pleased actually that Annabelle is joining us, not quite in the studio, but through the medium of Zoom to talk about her adventure with Erland. Hello, hello. Lovely to see you. <laughs> Hi, lovely to see you both. I'm sorry I can't be there. Um, lovely to see you, Jack, as well. Yeah, um, Jack, Jack is here too, not Hannah, who's off uh, enjoying her birthday holiday. But, um, well, we will have to make do. Thank you for coming. And thank you, Jack. You went off searching for all this wonderful otters and kingfishers. I thought that was pretty ambitious. <laughs> I think... Um, Erland was he was such a he was such a kind and generous host, you know, that he wanted to sort of incorporate the country file side of country file podcast by saying, Well, let's go and find an otter and a kingfisher. And kind of knowing that we wouldn't as well. I mean, you know, he knows that it was a very hot day, it was the middle of the day, and it was unlikely. But there's always hope, isn't there? You never know. You never and, know. You know, he was so generous in, in so many ways because also after the walk down the river, the, the Bybrook River, um, I actually got to go into the really famous Real World Studios and have a have a tour. And that studio has done some recordings with some pretty incredible people. Um, so I felt really special about that. Oh wow! What a what a what a wonderful experience opportunity. It, oh, it was so extraordinary, and they've got you know the studio, the glass. On, on the outside of the studio and the inside, you know, it, it's soundproof, but it's all really thick glass. You look out onto this sort of pond, but actually it's more of a lake and it is just absolutely stunning. And so it's a very, very special place. It's really unique and really unusual. And people like Van Morrison and Alicia Keys and Goldfrapp and Deep Purple even have recorded there and Mumford and Sons and... Um, Paul Simon. Anyway, I'm slightly going off the topic. No, but no, I no. Just, it's good to name drop a few of these. Yeah, top, top it names, was yeah. a it was a pretty spectacular experience to be there for 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 that with Erland and Erland. What a what a lovely guy. A very very tall man. Yes, the photos show that. There's, well, you're not you're not short, but, I'm, but I'm not, not, short, not in any but... way. But um, <laughs> but it's um, yes, there was a certain he's, he's sort of got his head in the clouds. And and also. He just by talking, you know, you can hear he's got almost like a sort of sing song voice just mm. with his talking, hasn't he? I mean, it's so beautiful, even it's though he Orcadian. doesn't actually maybe it's the Orcadian in him, that the Orcadian naturally... in him. Oh, and he's he... yeah, really, it's such a romantic idea, isn't it? And he and he was always apologizing for blethering on, which was rather <laughs> sweet. He said, I think I might be blethering on, and it was just such a great word. And gosh, I probably need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all, Fergus. But if you do, yeah, and then say yeah. blathering, blathering rather, rather than blathering, yeah. blathering, blathering yeah. yeah. Or and um, but he also, as we know, he did this curlew sound. Oh gosh, and... yes, I wanted to come back to that. Yeah, I'm glad yes. you brought it up because so, yeah. it was awesome. It was a good curlew. In fact, let's hear it again. And then they do this warble. Not bad. Go on, Fergus. Try one. I can't. Uh, it was. Ooh, no, I can't do it. It's really. No, I can't. No, no, I can't. No. Well, no, we can't. We. It's we, we're hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so beautiful. Well done. That was clever of him to. Uh, so you were going to say about the curly? Yeah. As he mentioned, he has a curly sound in every single recording ah, okay. that he's done. 
And um, I have been listening to a few of his recordings and I haven't necessarily found the curly, or maybe I need to concentrate a bit harder, but I have heard the odd one. But he's he's really, really keen. I've actually put him in touch with a curly charity called Curly Action, you probably know. If I yes, guess. with Mary Colwell. Yeah. Mary Colwell. I've put them in touch and they're both really excited about it. So let's see oh, what comes from exciting. that. Well, we had yeah. David Gray, didn't we, before with his Curly, a passion for Curly. So that's, um... Yeah, and that's taken off massively, that kind of collaboration with Mary oh, so and, and David. So it's maybe made... there'll be something on top with Erland. And Erland's actually coming to perform in Bristol um, in September. Oh, well, we'll look out for that. Yeah. I I wanted to ask Jack, as a musician and an audio technician, obviously we incorporate a lot of nature sounds in the podcast. Have you come across other music that you've sort of inspired by by nature? Well, I found it it really interesting, the stuff about him making his music and then just leaving it somewhere for nature to sort of add its bit part to it. I found that really uh, quite inspiring, really, and... I've no, I just, I've never considered that. I, I, I've known of, of people that have made music, sort of from plants and stuff, where they've put their little attachments to the plants, and then sort of the electronic signals from the plant creates the music. But to have, it's, it's I guess, I think it's a weird way because looking at it from most people, they'd think, oh, just sticking your music underground or just letting it melt in the sun is is ruining the music or it's it's ruining what you've created but the, the way of seeing it, i think the way is probably the right way of seeing it is that that is nature adding its section it's putting its solo over the top um oh, nice which i yeah. found I, I just found that really really cool i do i did like erland's i, I found it quite approachable mournful mm. and some of it sort of quite hard to listen to some of the environmental messages but there's there's sort of it's a, it's definitely Something you could listen to just lying back on the sofa and be transported. I think we should all go together to um, to hear Erland when he comes in September to Let's the do um, to the Redgrave Theatre. That's where he's going to be. So yeah, I think that would be really nice, especially you, Jack, because you mm. are the knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the. Um, you've got a robin singing at your house, haven't you? I have. It's really yes. lovely. It's coming um, through. So that's really delicious. Well, resident nice Robin. He's yeah. really vocal. And yeah, he's, well, yeah. we're getting to that stage where fewer and fewer birds are singing, but the robins keep going. So we're, we're recording this towards the end. Never of know, June. you might hear the swifts. They oh. might come screaming past in a minute. Do you know what that brings me to? Happenings and sightings. Our regular, what have we been up to in the countryside? In fact, Annabella's guest, would you like to talk about what have you, have you, have you been out and about doing an exciting? You always normally are. <laughs> well, no, no pressure. Um, <laughs> Actually, it was just that I volunteer um, at a local orchard and um, I went down on Sunday and it was quite a hot day and I was expecting to see everybody down there, you know, and say, OK, what needs doing today? And I was the only person there on Sunday afternoon, except for the butterflies. And that's what made me feel so happy because, I, you know, I haven't been seeing a lot of butterflies recently, but I saw... And um, I wrote them down. So it was oh, good, to... good. We've got a list. I like a list. Since Britt did her list in, in Lee Woods two two episodes ago, um, we've been um, been enjoying it. It's not a huge list, but I was really excited because the first one I saw, which is such a stunning butterfly, is the comma butterfly. Oh, great, great! Yeah, it's beautiful. so incredibly so iridescent, you know, orange, mm. and it's just so beautiful. And um, and then I saw a large skipper. Oh, that's a goodie. Yeah. Which is. That... Quite small, a bit like <laughs> a dart. Yeah, actually, call the large skipper yeah, yeah, rather proudly. Should, 
You should see a small skipper then. Yeah. And then the other one was... a dingy skipper. (laughs) There's a dingy skipper out there. The other one was a ringlet, which is lovely. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, you know, when they close their wings. Mm. Yeah, with their beautiful little round eyes along the side. But those were the three that I saw. And I was really excited. And there's something actually quite nice, even though I was missing everybody from Yorkshire, it was quite nice just me and the butterflies. You know, sometimes when you're on your own, you, you sort of appreciate them a bit more rather than talking about them, talking over them. Yeah, lovely, lovely. (laughs) So that was mine, yeah. You converse with butterflies. Jack, how about you? Any exciting adventures or have you been chained to the podcast equipment? I've been in a bit, but I've actually, um, I've been upgrading my bird offering in my garden. Oh, right, okay, (laughs) fantastic. I've had sort of like a little mini mission since we moved into this house and we've been there, I think, three years now. Before there was sort of there was no sort of wildlife activity. I've been trying to like get it back going again, and especially a couple of the gardens by me are the sort of slabbed over or the fake grass, which is a whole other anger. But uh, I've just feel I try not trying to make my garden a little pocket of wildlife so they can they've got that little stop off around all the sort of concrete. And I like, I like this a lot. This is music. <laughs> this is balm to the soul. I've uh, but with the birds, I've I've had a feeder for a little while with the little seeds in, and the last couple of weeks they've been chomping through them, mm. and uh, so I was like, right, and so much so that we were when I was away, came back, saw the feeder was nearly empty, and the birds were queuing <laughs> along our bit of trellis, <laughs> waiting for it to be filled back up so they could hop back in. And what have you got coming some. to? So I've been we've been slowly slow doing a few upgrades, but I have brought a new feeder, which I think looks brilliant. Okay, uh, I'll show you. I'll show you the picture. Okay, we have to describe this. But maybe we'll put it on one of our feeds. I mean, it would it literally would, on one of our feeds. <laughs> and <laughs> presumably, it's bringing in different kinds of birds. Yeah, new, what, what sort of birds are you getting? Fancy birds, fancy birds. Okay, and you'll you'll see why. I'll show Fergus, and then. Oh my goodness, it's like, (laughs) brilliant. It is a picnic table in miniature with a bright red umbrella over the top of it. So this is like, what do you serve them there? Aperol, spritz, whatever they like. (laughs) Okay, Jack, you've gone all out there. That's really interesting. Um, That is, that's quite, yep. But it doesn't look very dirty. It doesn't look like any birds have come and stood on it. Not at the moment. It's still quite new. And I'm experimenting with it. I'm, I'm liking the idea that that's when they want to dine in. They come and take a seat, relax, chill out for a bit. The the bird feeder is now the drive through option when they when they want to be in and out, and in at the feeder, off again. Um, I'm just giving them options, and it, it seems to be working. And um, there's more coming in. This is very exciting. Um, um, and to all the birds who are listening, um, Jack lives just north of Bristol, <laughs> and there's loads of food there just particularly fresh. good accommodation so just look at the red umbrella the red umbrella you can't miss it yeah no, it can be seen from about thirty thousand feet so my yeah, yeah, yeah. geese and all sorts will be down on that yeah geese <laughs> you never know. i've got the departure lounge as well so you can you can check in eat for a bit and there's a bit of duty free on the way out incredible incredible gosh well i done absolutely my sightings pale in total insignificance although i was sort of excited by swifts i think swifts have been in okay numbers this year and i know um earlier in the year i interviewed hannah born taylor about who's the swift uh, champion um who did the naked march through london mm. to get basically swift nest boxes built into every new house which is a brilliant idea amazing but, woman mm. uh, yeah fantastic brave and and she got all the signatures on her petition and got it debated in parliament but 
Swifts have been pretty good numbers where I live, and lots of other people have been saying Swifts have been screaming and sounds sounds good. So that's that's been exciting. But also down by the river, and we have as I'm on the river ask, and we have these sort of sandbanks where the winter floods carve the fields and leave these sort of sandy cliffs, and the sand martins nest in. So you get these clouds of little sand martins. They're brilliant. They're so exciting, and it's like bustling cities of these and they feed on all the insects that come out of that hatch out of the water so they're constantly skimming over the river and it makes it feel like it's full of life and uh so that that's incredible fergus do you get um bee eaters not no there's i think there's only one or two colonies of bee eaters in, in norfolk in the, they're in the east of england yeah, I think they're in Norfolk. Norfolk. I wondered yeah. if they'd go. Yeah, okay. I'd love to see those. Gosh. Well, absolutely. Next year, we'll try and make a mission to see bee eaters. We've missed them very, missed them narrowly at Bempton Cliffs when Megan Megan Shearsby did a podcast for mm-hmm. us on the East Coast, and there was one around, but she couldn't find it within the time limits of recording. So, bee eaters are our target for next year. Just don't don't put that as a target because you will not find them. No, that no. Well, that's the curse of the podcast. We're still we're still smarting from the kingfishers of last week, aren't we, Josh? Yeah. Episode two hundred. If you want to hear the uh, the kingfishers that didn't turn up until we turned off the equipment. Anyway, it's a joyful outing, um, one of our best, I think. So, uh, well, that's happenings and sightings. Uh, to tell us what you've been up to, we'd love to hear if you've seen anything exciting or, or just had a lovely time in the country. It's Send in your thoughts and emails, and we'd love to read them out on the show. My email address, you can contact me, Hannah Jack, and Annabelle on editor at countryfile.com. Love to get them. And the very best, very, very best of the week, especially if you send in the sound that you recorded, gets a book from the extensive and revered podcast library, uh, which Jack maintains. Um, dusted it today, Jack? Uh, can you tell? <laughs> it does look a little, yeah, it's good, it's good, it's looking good. Certainly the East Wing is looking good. I don't know if you've touched the West Wing. Um, we've got a letter here. Jack, I'm, as you're in the studio and and the Guardian of the podcast postbag, could I get you to read it? It's from our old friend Bridget Wesson. Indeed. So Bridget writes, we've just returned from a beautiful holiday in Menorca. It is a wonderful and relatively unspoiled island that is a joy to visit in late April when nobody else is there. The wildflowers are out in profusion and insects and birds are everywhere. On our first day of walking, we had stopped by some trees halfway up a hill and I heard a bird singing such a beautiful song. I used my bird app and immediately it came back that it was a nightingale. From that day on, we went on many walks in the countryside and every time we were near trees, we heard nightingales. Of course, by then I had realised that they spend a lot of time on the island and are fairly common, but I was so glad to hear them and know that they are doing well in other places in the world. I made this recording while standing under a small tree that the bird was in. Gods to all the team, love your work. <laughs> And thanks think, bridget thanks bridget that's how amazing. exciting how amazing that do you want to hear it do you want to hear it yeah okay ready absolutely that's an epic recording we've had a, we've had a lot of nightingales this year and i obviously went to nep where i got thoroughly overexcited by hearing lots of them singing but a lot with lots of ba- it's really nice to get it without the background noise of of, of other birds that was mm. brilliant it's amazing I, I when i was there um it was i remember it clearly because my wife was pregnant with my son so it's about 14 years ago and 
there were hoopoos in the garden, which are pink birds with long curved beaks like curlies and great crests, black, black and pink. They're just extraordinary, like parrots, par- uh, cockatoos almost. And there were stone curlies singing in the night. Well, not singing. They've got this blood-curdling howl. And then nightingales during the day on every corner, every little bit of scrub, in the towns, in the villages, out in the world. Oh, it's just ridiculous. You can't believe they're rare. That was 14 years ago. Who knows what's happened? But so, so nice to hear they're still there. You know, uh, well, I mean, thank goodness. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's really great that you heard them however many years ago and they're still there. They're not, they're not declining too much by the sounds they're doing of it. Okay. Which is, yeah. yeah, which is great. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, Bridget, that's definitely our email and sound of the week. And I do have, well, talking of NEP, I'm going to send you, I've got a copy of Isabella Tree's Wilding, which is her first book about the the whole story of rewilding the NEP estate. It's brilliant. I've read it and I hope you enjoy it. So we'll ping that in the post to you. And as I say, please do send in your recordings and any thoughts. We just love them. And you too could get something lovely from our, from our library. So let's say a big thank you to you, Annabelle, for joining us and for taking us to the studio, talking to Erland and bringing him into the podcast and to Erland himself for allowing us to play some of his music. We heard Solon Goose earlier uh, at the end of the recording. And now we're going to play out with Movement 5 from his new album, Folded Landscapes. The years build nests out of old hair, How they orbit the sun, but return to the same belfries and spires, bewilders even the best minds. No storm at sea can deplete them, and bare gullible trees, like children of famine, reach upward to meet them.
Stop